Hello, and welcome to episode 92 of Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers. By writers. To keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Jesse. I'm Marie. And I'm Will. And we've got some guests on the show, as you have all heard. Uh, we have Jesse and Marie here this week, <laughs> and we're super stoked to have you folks. Thank you very much for being here. We're going to talk about your book, Unrelenting, which I, I cannot wait to hear all about your writing what? journey and everything else. I am going to hand it off to Will in a moment, but first of all, I'm going to say uh, we are revamping our Patreon just a little bit, but if you want to support the show, please go on to patreon.com slash writing and support us. Give us a couple bucks, and we do have early access to episodes that is going to continue, um, but we might be changing some other stuff as far as rewards, but if you want to help us out, we really do appreciate it. Give us five-star reviews. Five-star? Is it four-star? Five star. Five star. And also forget. make sure you do it on um, iTunes or Spotify because the mm -hmm. more stars and actually written messages that you uh, put on there, we will read them out uh, live on the podcast. And we need them because more people can discover us and hopefully come into our little writing cult. I mean, you know, writing podcast <laughs> and community. Is our writing cult the Discord? Is that what it is? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, we have Fair good enough. people. Our, our Discord's been lit. No, our, I mean, our Discord is legit. Like, it's it's an amazing writing community. People are supporting each other left and right. So definitely check that out for sure. It is a it is a warm, friendly hug on a cold, cold winter night where you don't want to go outside. Damn. <laughs> Could have said it better myself. Okay, let's get to our guests. I'm gonna hand it to Will. Welcome to the show, by the way. I hope you both are awesome. And it's so good to see you again. You too. Yeah. Thanks for having us. So, um, Jesse, I want you to introduce um I want you to introduce yourself to everyone, give everyone a little bit about your background. And after that, I will proceed with our standard question because this is your first time being on the podcast. Yay, I'm so excited. <laughs> and Marie, for everyone um, who has been a longtime listener, has been on um, uh, earlier episodes when we did the just keep writing a book club that we talked about six of crows and you will hear from both Jesse and Marie further down the line as well. Um, so Jesse introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I'm Jesse and I am in the San Francisco Bay area. I unrelenting is my debut uh, novel that was co-written with Marie and Marie is, and I are sort of uh, partners in crime in a lot of different areas. We also own a business together. Um, I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio, which is the main setting of Unrelenting, and uh, had just keep moving further west. I'm going <laughs> to end up in Hawaii next or something. <laughs> oh, I am loving this Hawaii part, coming to visit you when you get there. <laughs> I was going to um, say stay in California since you're close to me. I'm only about four hours north of you. Where are you at in the Bay Area, if you uh, don't mind saying? Yeah, I'm in the East Bay in the Berkeley area. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I'm literally three and a half hours north of you on the I'm coast. Down here. I would it's love better to. better here. No, trust <laughs> me. I, I really want to very soon. <laughs> so, Jesse, I want you to describe your writing career in three words. And they can, of course, obviously be totally unconnected. They don't just whatever comes to mind right away. <sighs> I knew this question was coming and I tried to prepare. <laughs> and now I'm like, what were those words? When the moment comes. I know. <laughs> Listen, we did this to Nick, okay, and even Brent, and they were like, I knew this was coming, and I just, I don't even know what to say, so it's okay. Well, I'm editing so, the Maurice episode, and dude's been on the show six times and still seems to be blindsided every time. It's hilarious. 
<laughs> um, so inevitable, humbling, and shiny. Those are the three words I would go with. All right, great. So talk to me about inevitable. Yeah, so I am the sort of person who very much knows what she wants and is kind of a dog with a bone around it. And so from a very, very young age, I knew that I was going to be an author. Uh, The path didn't necessarily matter as much to me. I just wanted to write. And I even remember as a preteen teenager putting stories out on fanfiction.net and being like, I did it. I achieved my goal of becoming a writer. And so just digging more into that goal over the years and finding new shapes and forms for it has just sort of been, it can't be pulled away from my identity. It's just a part of who I am. I love that. Um, Our next word was humbling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially in the last couple of months leading up to the launch of our book and then afterwards. But even before that, just becoming a part of the community of writers, people who love writing and love each other and are willing to uplift each other and support each other. It's something that I didn't participate in a lot when I was younger um, for a lot of reasons. But as I've gotten older and found myself in those communities and seen just the selfless way writers support writers has been an incredibly humbling experience, especially in an industry that can be so fraught. Agreed. Um, And shiny. Everything's very shiny and new right now. I just (laughs) like, uh, I mean, there, there are obviously, you know, so many things in the, in the publishing realm that can be frustrating and overwhelming. And I've just, chosen in the last bit of time to focus on the shiny, to focus on the things that light me up and bring me joy because the time that I have to focus on this part of my career is limited and I want it to be filled with as much joy as possible, even when talking about difficult topics. I want to talk about too, is that you talked about being part of a writing community. So can you think back of a time and has it been recently? Was it in the last five years that you were like, you know what? I am actually going to take this really seriously. This is going to be my goal. And then what took you to that next level? Was it going to a writing retreat? Was it just daily writing? Like, talk to me a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So it was part of the journey for unrelenting as well. Uh, Marie and I had started tossing the idea of the story around and played with it, but not really gone anywhere for a few years with it. And I decided at one point, and I can't remember, Marie, if you were part of this conversation or not, but I decided at one point that, no, I really just need to sit down and make this happen. And I knew that doing it not even on my own, just me and Marie, I needed more than that. I needed more accountability. I needed more community. I needed more experts, people who were better than me, who could challenge me um, and who could provide critiques. And so what I ended up doing was joining a local critique group. And it was the first time I'd sought anything like that out. It was terrifying. Um, I remember literally just like shaking head to toe the first time I read anything out loud to that critique group. 
but that was sort of the catalyst that led me to start looking for other things for workshops and conferences and discord communities and all of these other places. Tell me how you met Marie and then how this uh, writing partnership came to you. And Marie, when we get to you, I'm going to ask you the same thing. So you might have different answers. Um, So talk to me about that. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I met Marie in late 2009 on an Animorphs forum. It was an Animorphs role-playing forum (laughs) where we were collaboratively writing role plays. Uh, So that kind of answers both of your questions. (laughs) And done. And that's it. And... Was it something that you really wanted to have a writing partner? Did it kind of just evolve into you and Marie? Like, oh my gosh, we should do a book together. Like, talk to me about um, why do a book together versus just uh, having a book on your own, etc. Yeah, I'd never actually considered co-writing a book before. I worked on a lot of solo manuscripts over the years and always sort of saw myself as a solo author. I think just because you don't see a lot of co-writers out there, it's not something that's as front and center as just a single name being on the cover of a book. Uh, But Marie and I spent a lot of time co-writing for fun through the role plays that we did through, and then also for work because we started a business together and it was a copywriting business. And so we were also collaboratively writing for our clients. And so it kind of got to a point where I felt like when she was writing, I was writing and vice versa. (laughs) And so our, our styles and our voices and our ideas became so intertwined that when we found an idea that we really latched onto to create a story, it, I couldn't have written the story without her. I couldn't have had that that particular universe exist without Marie being a part of it. I love that. So Marie, we're going to go uh, to you now. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then we'll go with our standard just keep writing <laughs> question. Yeah. So, um, so I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I also have been slowly moving west over the course of my life. I started off in North Carolina, and then I lived in Texas for a decade, and now I'm in New Mexico. So who knows? Maybe I'll join you in Hawaii, Jesse. Um, <laughs> Can we all go to Hawaii? I yeah. Mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all need to just keep moving west. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, like Jesse, I've been writing kind of forever, um, but um, – this project was pretty special because it felt like, yeah, we were, I was, this was going to be the one, like this was going to be the debut. So that felt, there was a little, kind of a lot of like self pressure put on it, but also a lot of excitement around it. How would you describe your writing career? Three words. So I'd say halting, meaningful and freeing. And so let's um, unpack those three words. Yeah. So Halting, because it's uh, just kind of in fits and starts. Um, sometimes there have been, you know, things in my professional life or personal life, mental health, you know, that have just made me have to take a step back from time to time. Um, but when it would proceed, uh, it would feel like home, you know. Um, so that's something where I'm just 
allowing myself, trying to allow myself and not having um, a lot of like, you should, you know, this like regret around the times when I have to step back from my own well-being for whatever reason. Um, For meaningful, I think it's, the reason I chose that word or maybe purposeful is I feel like I have purpose in my writing now beyond just it's something that brings me joy, which is absolutely a super valid reason to write. Yeah, I've been going on some sort of self-discovery journeys here in the last couple of years and um, discovered that a lot of that has actually been in my writing all along. I just didn't know that. And so um, that's given me some drive to keep producing and um, to feel like, uh, yeah, this really does is something that feels important to me to put out into the world. And then I think freeing on a lot of levels, like it's, it's fun. It's creative, right? Like I also have released um, any self snobbery, I guess, around how literary does my writing need to be? Like I did a, uh, one of those um, reading level checks on unrelenting third grade reading level. And I'm like, cool with that. Cause it is accessible, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, yeah, just like it's, I think this kind of leads back into that purposeful thing, but like my writing has been a part of my catalyst for uh, understanding myself better. And I know that my journey isn't, um, I'm not the only person who's gone on a similar journey. You know, I've been through a divorce in the last year. I, um, I learned more about my self identity in the last year. And so the writing has allowed me to do that. And so that's also part, even though it's not autobiographical or anything, I, I pretty much just write speculative fiction, but um, yeah, it's, it's felt very liberating to be able to talk about that stuff within a container of speculative fiction. Okay. There's so many things I want to ask you both about both your answers. So first, Marie, I want to talk about First, what made me laugh was when you're like, I did a reading check and it was a third grade level. Did you do that on pro writing aid? No, I did it on Word. Oh, amazing. Okay. I didn't know you could do that on Word, which yeah. I just want to say this. I think sometimes the the easiest things to read, like meaning as far as like, say when we talk about grade level, can also be the most profound. Because look at how you and Jesse met through Animorphs, right? Which people would <laughs> scoff at, you know, literary people would scoff at, or like adults even. But there's something to be said. And this is why like, I don't like talking down about what people love. I don't like talking down about Twilight. Um, because one, yay for Stephanie Meyer for making a living through her writing about glittery yeah. vampires. Do I want to write that? No. And also what I really found is a lot of times when girls, uh, young girls and teenagers and women really love something when it comes to reading, our society is so ready to attack it and devalue mm-hmm. it. But when it comes to when boys like something, okay, it is a lot of times about, oh, well, that's just great. They're just reading. That's so good. That's going to make them better. So I found your love of Animorphs. I think that's amazing. And I think what we're seeing, it's so funny you mention it because I think it was Brent who also like loved Animorphs and who really talked about the joy. And I feel like that's so important 
that people have something accessible that is fun that can lead you to other things. So with that being said, I want to talk about the meaning and purpose of you two writing together. Because I think this is the first time we've ever had two uh, co-authors of a book on. And I think a lot of people would like to do it, are a little nervous because they're like, oh, but, you know, this is my possession. But it's it seems like, you know, and knowing you two um, for a year, personally me, knowing you two for a year and a half and the times that we have talked, I love the energy to share with each other. So can we talk about being meaningful and purposeful about writing together and what that's brought each of you individually? Yeah, that's a big question because there's a lot tied up in the relationship. Um, I think of co-writing in general and co-projecting whatever project it may be, but on a personal level, there's also a lot tied up in my friendship with Marie and what, Marie was talking about earlier about a journey of self-discovery and a write, writing being a conduit for that is true for me as well. And I think in a lot of ways, we've been able to use the stories that we write together because we both have our solo s- stuff as well, but we've been able to use the stories that we write together to understand each other as individuals and friends better and to support each other better outside of the writing. So it's this sort of weird mishmash of, yes, this is our professional career that we're looking at pursuing together, but also like we're unpeeling a lot of layers about who we are. And to go into a collaborative relationship like that, when that is part of the underlying purpose of the book or of the project it requires a lot of understanding. It requires like negative ego and just like respect and communication the whole way through, like, like 1000%. And I don't think that um, this particular story required that on like a, a, a separate level from a story that maybe didn't have those other layers at work of self-discovery and things like that. But um, it was definitely essential to, to our collaborative process. Marie, same question. What do you feel like, you know, do you want to vibe off of what Jesse said? Or do you want me to like kind of go in and like, we can really talk about like, how is it meaningful for you that <laughs> you're writing this with Jesse? What have you learned about yourself and what have you learned about just, you know, cultivating this story together. Yeah. I mean, to bounce off what Jesse was saying first, I think it's totally possible for co-writers to not have the maybe intense (laughs) uh, friendship that we have and be successful in that process. Like I know that there's a lot of co-writers out there who like they get an idea for a book, they co-write it, they take different roles and that process and it goes great. Um, I think for us, we, it was a very in it with each other, intimate kind of writing process where we were both like in a Google document, simultaneously writing, like one person be writing, the other person be following behind editing. And then the first person would like run out of steam. And so the second person, or, or maybe complete a thought or whatever. And then, so the second person 
who's been editing has this little reserve that they've been filling up of now I can write something. And so they would start writing and then we'd flip places. And so we were just in it with each other synchronously for months and months in this process. So um, I think, you know, Jesse's right about like leaving your ego at the door. Like it's about the story. It's about serving the story and it's not about, Oh, my idea or her idea. Um, it's, it's just like having a shared vision and being able to talk through that in a way that is respectful and, um, keeps the project going. Right. Because if we, if we get into a irreconcilable fight, then the story dies. Um, and I think that's how we've approached a lot of things like, you know, running a business together, you have difficult conversations about money or clients or whatever. And so we, I guess we just had a lot of practice with handling um, potentially difficult conversations. And as a result, they don't feel difficult to us. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I don't think that every co-writer has to be <laughs> that intense the way that we are. <laughs> I, and, and we, and, and Will's right. We've never had both co-authors on the show, but we did talk to Max Gladstone a long time ago and he co-wrote a book with Amal Albonterre and I, and that book is amazing, but the way they wrote it is, I I don't think it could be more opposite than what Marie just described. (laughs) So what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out, I guess, is, was that your guys's process the entire time? Did you variate from that or, uh, or, or, you know, is there ever a time where you each took a chapter and then came back and 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 I'm 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 only asking this because I know there are folks in our community that are interested in co-writing with someone and this can look a myriad of different ways but like that process sounds amazing that you described but I don't know if I could ever do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But the other process I was talking about with Max and and Amal like that makes more sense to my brain but I, I love your guys' relationship. So I'm just trying to figure out like, was that your process the whole time or did you ever approach it differently? It was our process 99.9% of the time. That extra 0.1% <laughs> would be, um, for example, maybe I had a lot of energy and excitement to write. I had some ideas and Marie was out of town or was mm. burnt out on something or something like that. So I'd go in and I'd write a scene, never really a whole chapter, but I'd maybe write a scene and then she'd go back and you know look at it and during our next session. And then maybe the flip would happen. Maybe I'd be exhausted or busy with work. And so Marie would go in and maybe write a scene that happened a few times, mm-hmm. but for the most part, we were writing synchronously in the document. And I actually have a correction. Do you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Please, please correct because- me. I'm excited. Jesse, Jesse, you were talking about how like we met through like these collaborative role plays on this Animorphs forum. And like when this story was in its infancy, we each took characters in the story. That's true. And so I actually still have affinity for certain characters that like were mine for like, you know, a week or something. Um, and we kind of did like a role play type thing with them to feel out the story in the world that's grossly different from what the book actually turned into, but the characters were still there. And, um, and so for a little while we had that, that separate character ownership. And then we decided, Hey, I think this has potential to be 
something that we want to put into like prose novel format. So that's when we shifted to what Jesse was talking okay. about. So I will, I will accept your correction. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Thanks. I wasn't thinking about the role plays. <laughs> So then it seems like you kind of did like a, a Jedi mind meld and like, where you really yeah. kind of like, you really kind of just started merging each other's, you know, minds together when you're writing, which I think is amazing, but that's or also chaos in some people's heads. Cause to me, that's insane. Oh, and we're both but... pancers. Oh God. It's horrifying actually. <laughs> oh my God. Your business partners, your, your answers, your oh mind melding. Um, it's chaotic. <laughs> Good. It's my kind of, it's my kind of town. Um, <laughs> so how long did it actually take you to get this synchronicity together to really sync up like this? Like, is this because of like years of friendship, years of bonding over stories or was this just something instantly there from like the get-go between you two? And that's what makes it magic. I think the potential for it was there very early on. Um, you know, when we first met on the Animorphs forum, and then when we just decided to just like play in the sandbox of let's tell stories in other people's universes, just because they're fun, where, you know, Marie would take some characters, I would take other characters, and we would just see what happened. I think that even though we weren't sitting down to write a novel together worked because we had some sort of ability to bounce off each other really well and understand each other really well. I think it went from that to the chaotic mess that somehow works that it is today (laughs) through doing that. Like we have millions of words, y'all like so many words of that, those role plays And then on top of that, we would be doing a lot of the writing for our clients together, or if not together, like I would write something and Marie would edit it and vice versa. And so we got so used to providing each other feedback too, that that helped with that ego piece. There was never any sort of feeling like I had to impress Marie or Marie had to impress me. It was always just I feel like in order to get this out of the, out the door, I might need Marie's eyes on it because I know that she has strengths that I don't have. And over time, it just became easier with our own stuff to just do it at the same time and get that feedback as we were writing. Yeah. And, you know, I think the work relationship does have something to do with this. So like one of our things in our company is brand voice. And we have a whole process around like, how do we capture the voice of a brand so that they can hand off their copy to anyone, us or someone else? And so we've applied some of that to our fiction writing. And so there was like a voice for this novel. Like, you know, we we kind of had this like mood board thing going on with like, okay, it's kind of like these noir themes and it's got this, you know, it's very like woman driven, um, like voice. And I, I don't know, like I'm not making a ton of sense here, but we, we kind of pulled together a, a, a joint vision of how the novel would sound. And then we both actually were in critique groups. Jesse mentioned hers, but, and we would ask our critique groups, Hey, one of the things I would like your feedback on is, can you tell where the seams are between the writers? And consistently they would say, no, um, we, we don't know. And so I think probably, yeah, through all those years of, practicing and working with our clients um it at that point 
that was a skill that we had developed. Was it important to you that you couldn't decipher who was writing what for this story? Yeah, for this story, I think it was necessary because we were so in, each one of us was in so many, all of the scenes. Uh, It would have been different if we each had our own characters or if we were trading off chapters, all of which, you know, um, are absolutely valid. And I do, this is probably something that readers would not pick up on. And in fact, I've never heard a reader pick up on this, but I do like, I can still feel that there are certain characters that have a little more of Marie's weight. And there are some characters that have a little bit more of my weight and like the the voice of the characters. And those are characters who, when we were originally doing the role plays, they were our characters. Uh, Or if a character is just like, just an awesome kind of terrifying badass it's jesse's character and if they're like a little too sweet they're probably mine <laughs> no 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 you actually have the biggest asshole in the book actually one, one of them yeah you do he's our favorite asshole i'm like but. there's a lot of them okay okay yeah yeah okay <laughs> god god marie what did you want to add no i was just saying an asshole with a heart of gold that's that's who he is <laughs> i want it we're going to get into the book in a minute But I also wanted to touch upon, you know, you were so in sync with the way that you were writing uh, this book. Um, And you're currently writing book two, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you are being thrown for loops at all with each other? Meaning Mm -hmm. that the energy behind book one versus book two two is a little bit different because either you've grown as story writers, the story has changed. Can you kind of talk about what it was like to go in then to book two? Book two's, book twos are challenging uh, as it turns out where you're like, okay, I got to balance like all these like open threads from book one with uh, the story that we want to tell in this book with, you know, bringing attention in fast enough uh, but not so fast that, uh, you know, you smack someone over the face with it who's not read book one. You want them to, like, still feel like this is an accessible entry point. At least that's our goal. You don't necessarily have to do that with a book two. Um, and so how many times have we rewritten <laughs> the beginning of book two? I mean, it's absurd at this point. <laughs> too many. Way too many. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that, like, there's been a lot of excitement in writing book two as well because now – we have people to share the story with. And so there's some like infectious excitement in that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't think we are having challenges with each other, although we are exploring other ways to write together. We're trying to test out doing things a little more asynchronously because as well as our process worked with book one, it, required a lot of dedicated time and energy where we were both available. We wrote when we actually like sat down and got serious about unrelenting, we wrote it in about 11 months and we blocked off an entire eight hour day every week, sometimes two or three to work on it. And that's just not super sustainable all the time. And so we are playing around with other ways of doing things with book two and seeing how that works just for pure stamina reasons. That makes sense. Makes sense. (laughs) Um, Now my next question for the both of you is how 
are you approaching individual projects now? Do you feel that you are able to find your voice in those individual projects? Is Has it been difficult because you're like, oh my God, where's my partner in crime? Like, mm-hmm. uh, talk to me about like, you're working so well together. And then when you have to actually go and work on a project that you're writing on yourself, what has that been like for you? Oh, there's a little codependency that we had to like work out (laughs) (laughs) like is this even really a book unless jesse looks at it too i don't know (laughs) the hardest thing because both of both marie and i are in now in several critique groups but we're not actually in any critique groups together interestingly enough and uh, i think my like tipping point of like oh god i'm doing this on my own was um (laughs) the the current story that i'm working on Marie, I had Marie read the first, I think, two chapters. And then life happened and Marie was not available to read my third chapter before I went to my critique group. And I was like, I have to bring it to my critique group without Marie's seal of approval. Oh, God, how am I going to do this? And then it was fine. And it was okay. And I think like that story has, there are many, many chapters past chapter three that Marie has not laid eyes on yet. And I'm building my confidence as a solo writer in doing that. And it's kind of weird because I was always a solo writer, but then this project, I was very, it was so collaborative that it's like almost like relearning the confidence that I had before. Mm, Yeah. I think I, I've had a lot of fun with the project that I'm working on solo, but I think I'm also, and similar to Jesse, I have not been sharing all of it with her. I did initially, and that's tapered off. Um, but I think her mark is still on it. And like, I've learned things from her. Like uh, when folks read Unrelenting, almost all the chapters have an ending that makes you like have to turn the page. That is all Jesse. And so I'm like learning that and I'm like trying to figure out how do I replicate some of that? No, it's not the same. Uh, it's like a secondary world fantasy. It's not, doesn't have this like thriller edge to it. So it's not quite as like, you know, driving tension, but I, I think there's a lot of value in that. Right. I remember very specifically hearing um, um, Howard talk on um, the writing excuses podcast one time about like, you know, these days, a book will come out in paperback, hardback, um, audiobook, and ebook. And you cannot control anything about the look of the page, really. Like you you don't know, you know, uh, oh, this this chapter break is gonna happen halfway down this page. And so somebody's still gonna see the next little like woo thing that happens right after the chat or the the little section break or whatever. But what you can control is a chapter break. Because that is the time they have to either push, you know, next, um, or they have to flip the page on their phone, or they have to physically turn a page in a book. And it is the time where you force the reader to interact with the story to say, yes, I want to keep reading. And so I think about that a lot about like, how can I use what I learned from Jesse in writing Unrelenting with her in my projects as just one of many examples of what I've learned from her. I love that. So now give us the pitch for unrelenting. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Can> I, <laughs> I'm prepared. Well, we had to know this read? was coming, right? 
okay. It's okay. It's all it's all big surprise. Listen, every person, every author we have on this, they're always like, "Oh, all right, I got to do the pitch." So, oh, no. and to be honest, the inside scoop in the in the episode I'm editing now with Maurice, he actually we had a tech issue, and he initially said with uh, Unfatable, he was like. Oh, I should really work on a pitch for this. And it was a whole rant. He finally got to something. We had a tech issue. He redid it and it was perfect. So when you hear that episode, when you hear that episode, he actually didn't have a pitch, but the second time around, he had a pitch. So I think it's really interesting. So now I've given you time to think of a pitch. Go. No, you didn't. I was listening I know, to your I wonderful voice, Marshall. <laughs> I'm messing with you guys now. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> Unrelenting is a story about a young woman whose sister has gone missing, and everyone seems to have given up hope. So she decides to take matters into her own hands. And unfortunately, in that search, she realizes that there are darker things at play, supernatural forces, and that in order to find out what happened to her sister, she's going to have to confront them. Nice job, Jesse. Yeah, really <laughs> I gave you plenty of time to come up with that. <laughs> I have to say, when I first opened the, when I read the first couple of chapters, I was like, I cannot stop reading because you literally made me keep wanting to write the page. And I think I was talking to Nick, who is not with us today. God love Nick. Yeah. Um, he says to me, he asked me how I was liking the book and I was like, I just can't put it down neck. And I was like, every time I think I'm like going to go to bed, I stop. And I was like, I, I just got to the end of the chapter. It's three 30 in the morning. Do I read another one? And I was like, I guess so. It, it felt, <laughs> it felt like reading it, that it was a, a thriller. It really read to me like a suspenseful thriller. Um, especially in the, in the very opening um, chapters. <laughs> Because I think what you automatically felt is Bridget's sense of um, loss for her sister. And I think anyone who is worried about a sibling, um, that really came through in the first chapter. You know, you can you can feel her fraughtness. Like, she was so fraught, like, where's my sister? And the this undying feeling of, I know she's alive. I know she's alive. So I want to talk about the aspect of someone going missing. And why did you start with that type of, um, I would say that could be very heavy and triggering, you know, in a lot of different ways. Why start off with something like that? It could be subconscious, you know what I mean? But like, it just made me think like the way you opened it up, it opens up with Bridget, you know, going to where uh, her sister was and we enter the scene with the cop. And I want to know, like, talk to me about why missing. Why that? Talk to me. That's a really interesting question. Well, so neither Jesse nor I have sisters and yet sisters, uh, this is a theme that shows up a lot in Jesse's writing in particular. Um, and I'm an only child, actually. So I was always fascinated by siblings. And, um, but I think regardless of 
whether what, you know, what sibling relationships we've had or not in our lives, like we both place such importance on certain people in our lives, each other included that like, there's always this sort of, at least for me personally, this like anxious underlying fear of like, what happens if I lose these people who are important to me? Um, and so um, it's an expression of love, but through this sort of anxious lens that um, I don't know, uh, I, 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 you know, I haven't been in Bridget's shoes, thankfully, I haven't um, had to deal with somebody close to me being like a missing person. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just some like primal terror there and like losing your loved one, losing whether it's your family or your found family that, um, I guess was weirdly easy for, for me to tap into. I don't know what, I'm actually really curious to hear what your, <laughs> what your thoughts are on Jesse. Yeah, I think, I agree with everything that you've said. And um, just to expand on it a little bit, I think even though neither of us has sisters, um, I have two brothers, the the dedication of our book is to family close enough to call friends and friends close enough to call family. And, or maybe flipped. Um, but <laughs> Marie and I consider one another sisters. Our relationship is close and... Um, it is sort of like if this person disappeared from my life, I don't know what I would probably be Bridget. I'd be like pounding down some like police station <laughs> door being like, no, we are finding this person. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think also from a, from a purely structural perspective of the story, the very first attempt that we made to at writing this actually did not have Dahlia as a character, did not have the sister character at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> Shock. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's how much the story changed from the first version to the, to like the final. Um, He's like, what was it even about? <laughs> <laughs> nothing wow. that it ended up being about. Uh, it started out as an exploration of the magic through the lens of Bridget being sort of the, the non-magical, non-supernatural entity. And when we started writing the initial draft, we just, it wasn't working. It was not working. Bridget did not feel like real enough. Urgency, right? There was, yeah. There was no urgency. There was no depth to her. Um, we didn't even like it didn't feel like she was a person. And so we we sort of scrapped like the entire first attempt at the story and went back to the drawing board and really asked ourselves about who Bridget was and what motivated her. And it sort of in true Panzer style, the character kind of told us like, well, I have people that I care about. And that was missing from this initial attempt. And so when we looked at that, it it became the focal point of the story. And she's totally a, a caretaker type person. And so what happens to somebody who's a caretaker when that person they caretake is not safe or not under their protection? And that's something that I, you know, <laughs> as somebody who tends to 
caretake myself. And that's something I'm like actively working on. That was something that was resonant for me. It's interesting that you wrote about sisters, but don't have any, uh, because for me, I, all I have are sisters, um, and a lot of them. So (laughs) I could only think, and I'm the baby and it's really interesting of being like the only boy. I put boy in quotations. Um, because I'm like what all the traditional like things that we tend to think of gender binary, everything that my parents thought I was going to be was completely the opposite. So I'm probably like the most high maintenance one out of them all when it comes to like <laughs> regimens. Um, but I really thought it was um, interesting because that's why I think what really propelled me also to read is I kept thinking of the panic of, if one of my sisters went missing, I would be, I would be Bridget. I would go after them and I would find them. And there's a scene, I, there's a part early in the book, it's in chapter two, everyone, that I want to just read. And it says, Dahlia, there was no doubt in Bridget's mind. Yes, the scene was dark and misty. No, the camera never clearly captured her face but she would recognize that walk, that glance, that posture anywhere. It was her. It had to be her. Bridget adjusted the pillows behind her back, settled further into her hotel bed. Then she played the video again and again. As Bridget watched, she found herself repeating a familiar refrain. It isn't your fault. The words felt flatter each time. For the rest of her life, she'd never shake the angry, abrupt end to their last call. And all over a guy that Bridget knew was bad news. Their fight had carved out a hollow place within her. There's a few things that that little blurb in chapter two, it doesn't even open up like that to our dear listeners. So it gets just, it opens up even better. But I wanted to really um, read that line because this was the instant So I go through chapter one. I was like, okay, I'm intrigued. I'm going to go. So here we are. Will is in bed. Okay. At three or 5 (laughs) AM. And I read this. Okay. And this is only on page 13. I stayed up that night until reading to about 244. No. I'm sorry. I didn't go to bed till seven in the morning. morning, So thanks. Thanks guys. Um, So there's so many things that that little section did right you feel the immense determination you feel the immense grief and you also this thing about that glance that posture that is what close people notice about someone and especially sisters i feel like that's what sisters and people who are so close that they're like sisters they just know like undoubtedly like no that i know that was her i'm not just reading into this i want to talk about since this wasn't originally part of the story how did you distill it down so early on in the second chapter of creating this magnitude and this tension a lot of editing (laughs) a lot so much editing, like to the point where like there was, we were working on book two yesterday and Jesse mentioned something. She mentioned like, oh, 
there's one character and it mentioned that he had a boyfriend and I was like, did we say that word? I literally don't remember that word being in there. Like that's how well we know this book through the editing that I, there was like a word that I did not realize was in the book that surprised me. (laughs) So I think that's probably a luxury we don't have for future books to be that in depth with our edits. But um, yeah, I think there was a lot of massaging. What, what do you think helped us get there, Jesse? Yeah. You know, I think when we decided to bring Dahlia in as a character, we, we had a couple of questions to answer. First of all, we had to, you know, Bridget is Southern. She's from North Carolina and so is Dahlia. Um, we had to figure out why are they in Cleveland? Because we set the first story in Cleveland and we were going to set the re the rewrite in Cleveland for the entirely selfish reason of it's the city I grew up in. So I can write it real well. (laughs) And we're like, okay, so what, what, how do we get these moving pieces, the pieces that we already know exist into place in a way that actually makes sense And what we realized pretty quickly about Dahlia was that she was the type of person who was not afraid to go after her dreams and go after what she wanted, no matter what her sister had to say about it. And that is the sort of thing that would take her away from home. And so before we even wrote chapter one and chapter two, we knew that there was already this a sense of that anxiety that Marie was mentioning earlier because the relationship that had been stable when Bridget and Dahlia were younger was starting to fissure a little. It was starting to tear as Dahlia got older. And so then we just kind of were like, okay, well, how can we take that further? How can we take Bridget's own needs as a character her own insecurities because she she had a lot of growing to do during that this book um and a lot of it revolved around her ability to trust others and a lot of that comes from the way in which she saw herself as dahlia's protector and so once we kind of got clear on those it didn't make sense to tell the story any other way and also one thing that Jesse is an expert at is twisting the knife in characters. And so not only do we have this like grief and fear and anxiety going on, but then uh, adding that flavor of guilt that like, oh gosh, our last conversation was was not pleasant and it's probably all my fault. Marie's painting me out to be great. I make you stay up all night and I make you feel guilty and so already you introduced you know bridget and and this need to find her sister but then also throughout the story i want to talk about queer identity mm-hmm. and you know before this what everyone hasn't been able to listen to you were like you know this was casually queer right <laughs> i think it was marie said that so i want to talk about identity queer identity and why it was important to you both to have that represented. What does that mean for you as writers and as also readers? Why was that important for you to also have those identities in there? And what does it mean to you? So either one of you can start. I'll let you start this one, Marie. Sure. Um, 
Yeah. So, you know, thinking back to the Animorphs days, um, like the amount of stuff that was out there uh, when I was growing up and reading both kid lit and adult lit as, as a young person. Um, And I, you know, I was born in 85. So if that gives y'all and listeners some grounding as to how old I am, um, the amount of conversations about queerness, especially in stuff that was accessible was basically non-existent. Um, there are things going back to reading them that I can see that like, ah, yeah, there here, there was a discussion of gender or there may have been a discussion here of sexuality kind of, but like coded. Right. And so as a result, like that felt like something that's, I had such a woefully basic a sub basic understanding of identity um, and, and what the fullness of, I guess the rainbow looks like, you know, that I, I never saw that I had a place for myself within it. Um, and it really wasn't until my mid thirties that I finally had exposure to uh, a word that resonated for me, which was asexuality. And still, even now, there's there's a handful of pieces of uh, you know spec fic that have ace rep, um, and I'm so grateful to them. Um, but they're not a lot, and this is what I meant about like part of that uh, meaningful, purposeful word that I chose early on with career was like now that I go back and I look at like all my trunked novels and stuff that I'm working on now and unrelenting, it's amazing. Like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, every main character I've ever written has been ace because that's how I experienced the world. And I didn't know that other people didn't experience it that way. And so I just wrote it that way. Um, and so that was, um, that's really cool. And I like want to be contributing to the body of, um, speculative fiction with asexual representation. Um, but I think also like, uh, you know, one thing that resonates for me that, you know, you see kind of punted around on Instagram or whatever, but it's like this idea of like, yes, people need to see themselves, uh, represented, which is why all this representation and like discussions about intersectionality are so important. Um, and also people who do not experience those intersections, need to see those people as the heroes, right? And so, like, this is just a book where, like, people are having adventures and things are going down. And some of those people happen to identify as queer. And so that's, I guess, what I mean by, like, it being casually queer, but we're also not shying away from it. Like, there is a conversation where Bridget um, outs herself and um, with with a close, trusted friend. And um, it felt it felt like a love letter to past Marie in that moment for me to be able to like, say like, Hey, this is on the page. You know, I think a lot of times when people think of ace people and characters that they're like cold Mm. or there's this coldness to them. And that's actually so far from the truth. And I think, you know, we really see that represented really well in the novel. That's funny because we were just talking in book two about, Bridget has this like fiery 
personality. <laughs> so it's funny that we had like a warm word associated with it with her. Yeah, I don't I, I think it's I think you're right. You know, I, I th- I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast. I know I've talked about it with Marshall, Nick and Brent. But like Daniel Jose older for me is like huge. Right. I so much so. I mean, if anyone, I haven't listened to the interview I interviewed with them because I get too nervous because I'm like, so a good. Girl. okay, <laughs> I like get nervous. I was there. But when I, but when I read his, when I first started reading Daniel, it was the first time ever that I ever felt like I saw home. Mm. And I want you to know, Marie, that you and Jesse writing an ace character is going to be the same type of things that those people feel. They're going to feel a home and that it was nuanced and it was done lovingly. And you saw nuances and different shades of everything within that person. You know, that you, we basically, you allow them to be human beings yeah. with a full range. So Thank I you. just, that was really, really um, great. So, Jesse, same question about um, queer representation and what it means to you and why do you write it and why do you want to read it? I mean, I don't know that I can top what was just said, but um, it, it's largely the same in a lot of ways. Uh, I did not come out as bisexual until my mid twenties, mid to late twenties, because I did not ever know that that word was an option for me. Uh, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in a Catholic household. I grew up in a, in, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands when gay or bisexual were insults. They meant things about people that I was not applying to myself um, and so it wasn't something I ever questioned. I never, I never, ever once growing up was like, oh, maybe I'm not straight until all of a sudden I was confronted with it. Like, like a literal, like ice bucket over my head moment in my life that I realized that I had such a narrow view of who I was and what was available to me and, and why I was who I was because I had never seen any narratives that showed me anything else. You know, every story that I read growing up for, for the most part, every TV show I watched, every novel I consumed was filled with straightness and the strong female character, which I identified with, you know, as a, as a child, I was like, yeah, I want to be the strong female lead. Yes. Go, go that always was falling in love with the cis dude. And like, it was, it was just such a, it was such a pattern that you didn't see the pattern. It was mm-hmm. just ingrained in you as this is life. And so when I started to unpack the fact that that wasn't my life, that wasn't my identity. That wasn't how I wanted to move around the world through the world anymore. I wanted to find it in other literature, in other other forms of entertainment. And the fact that I had to put so much effort into looking and finding just 
kind of told me that like the stories that I'm writing, they need to show more of that experience. And in my case specifically, I think a lot of what I write is often tied up in those later realizations uh, of like total identity shift and realizing that like what you thought was true about yourself was actually just society feeding you a lie. Sorry, I'm just thinking just about that because I think that's really powerful because when you don't have the verbiage to describe what you are, it's like you are trapped inside your body and you're screaming silently because you can't let it out. And I think especially all of us who grew up as young adults in the 90s and 2000s till like 2005, I think there was only binaries. Yes. There was, even though we all know those binaries were, we knew that there were people who were trans and everything, but it was very highly binary. If you called someone bisexual, they're not bisexual. They're really gay. Right. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was taught as a kid. Yeah. Or they're, they're, they're really gay. For attention. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And you know, I have to say as, as, as someone who's evolved, I think because I came out in such a very young age at a time that was not normal at a time that I grew up in a very um, urban neighborhood was definitely not accepted. When I would have people say they were bisexual, it was almost because they were afraid to fully be gay, right? This was my Mm -hmm. mindset. So I actually had to, when I moved to New York at 17, I had to learn that. And it was a wonderful learning experience is that, nope, you can be all those things. And it doesn't mean you're afraid to be one or the other. In fact, sometimes being bisexual in a lot of ways is, is a lot braver because you, I don't want to say, you know what, I want to take that back. I don't want to say either one's less or more brave. What I want to say is that you are going to get it from both uh, communities sometimes. You're going to get it from people who are just old school thinking gays that are gay or straight, there's no bisexuality. And you're going to have, you know, cisgendered straight people say, well, you know, it's one or the other, but choose the right one because one of the other ones are wrong. You know, that's what we have. And what I love about both of your stories is that people are so nuanced and it's really important that we do write about um, those experiences. So this is my next question. And Jesse, you kind of spawned it with your response about like, now I'm really writing from things about like later in life in response to those sudden changes. Oh, I just got another question in my head. So let me go with this one first. What is your hope for people who are reading your book, who either identify under that queer umbrella, or for people who are still questioning, or still trying to figure things out? What do you hope that they can get out of stories like you and Marie are writing, because I'll tell you this, it's entertaining. It's so good. But then there's also these deeper, deeper uh, complexities of characters. So what do you hope that they get from this? I don't want any queer person, whether they know they're queer or not, to ever feel trapped or limited by their identity we called the representation an unrelenting, casually queer. 
And I think there's kind of a, a couple layers to that in that we don't want, I, I don't, I won't speak for Marie. I don't want queerness to be a big deal, but I also want people to accept it as a big deal for themselves, like for their own identity, if that makes sense. Like it's not, you can set yourself on a lot of different paths throughout your life, but you don't know what you don't know. And it's very hard to set yourself on the right path if you don't fully understand yourself. And so Unrelenting is not a story about coming out. It's not a story about queer struggles or anything like that, because that is a part of the queer experience, but that's not the only part of the queer experience. And queer people exist every single day doing normal things or supernatural things. And (laughs) that is okay too, and needs to be celebrated too. And I think that if growing up as a, as a teenager who was very much like, of course I'm straight, duh. Um, if I had read a lot of books about the like, like, like queer trauma, I don't think I would have identified with it because I was still very much in the mindset of, well, that's their thing. And it's really upsetting and shouldn't exist, but it's their thing, not my thing. And I think in presenting the more casual queerness, it allows people who are are kind of living on that binary to get a window into it without feeling like they have to immediately separate themselves from it. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with everything you said, Jesse. And I think I'll echo something that I think other y'all have talked about on the show and um, other guests have talked about on the show about the idea of like, you know, we're creating within fiction, um, we can create worlds that we want to see. Not that I want creepy smoke monsters to attack people in Cleveland. That's not what I mean. But, but like, like Jesse was saying, like where it's not a big deal necessarily to, to everybody else. Like, you know, no people are getting attacked in this book, but they're not getting attacked because of their identity. And so I think, you know, this is um, Jesse actually got me a book uh, by Charlie Jean Anders uh, never say you can't survive. Um, and in the prologue of that, I come back to this over and over again, where she says, I, I'm, I, this is a paraphrase. I, I don't have it in front of me, but um, she says something along the lines of like, you know, creating these fictional worlds is resistance because escapism is resistance. And part of my story that I haven't really shared um at all really around like my coming out was also tied up uh, with um, my relationship ending. And that was difficult and scary and upsetting on a lot of levels, but like a place that was a refuge for me, you know, during all of those struggles was reading fiction. And so like to be able to create those refuges for other people for like, no matter what they're going through, like, here's a bubble. You can escape into this bubble. And in this bubble, this isn't a problem. (laughs) You know, there's other problems because otherwise there probably wouldn't be a plot, but like, that's not it. And so you can breathe easy on this side and you can be accepted on this side. Um, And so I've lost this thread of your question, Will, (laughs) but I think that, yeah, ultimately like that's, um, that's part of why this is really important to me. Do you mind if I add to that briefly too? Because I think 
one of the words that neither Marie and uh, Marie or I have been saying, but that comes up a lot with these conversations is that um, we don't want queer people to feel broken. Yeah. And that word, I think a lot of queer people resonate with it in different ways based on their own individual experiences. And I think it's something that a lot of people have to grapple with. And I know I personally had to grapple with it as someone who came out later in life, as someone who ended um, ended up ultimately ending a marriage over it and someone who had to like completely reshape my identity. That whole, you know, multi-year process was really framed around the question, am I broken? And I think it's important for people to have stories where they know that they're not. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was getting emotional. Yeah, me too. <laughs> because, you know, you um, you grow up with that narrative that something's wrong with you. Yeah. And that, you know, you're wrong. And I think, well, first of all, I think anyone who goes through this life, straight, gay, trans, bi, I think just as human beings, we're all broken to an extent. But the most beautiful thing is community can help put you back together and you can still be whole. But I think with the narrative of being broken and queer, I feel like what the current writers are who are queer are, it's like a love letter to, um, the younger generation and a love letter to a lot of our elders who are gone, who we didn't have a, um, we didn't have those people to really give us advice because there was this whole uh, epidemic of AIDS and they weren't able to tell us that it gets better or, um, things are going to be better because they were literally sacrificed because our society didn't value them and they fought really hard for where we are. So I think that is, uh, I think that is really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It does feel like a love letter. Like it feels like this is part of, um, I feel like this is part of my purpose on this planet is to um, just keep creating safe spaces within fictional worlds for people who are maybe, yeah, just um, feeling like they don't fit the binary that was so prevalent for us when we were kids. Um, And that is still very prevalent in lots of parts of this country and lots of parts of this world. The binaries, in fact, not just one. (laughs) I think what we see the laws in Florida and the, yeah. um, the laws just on women and just the news, it's, it's, I feel like this is really comforting to talk to each other also, whereas we get emotional, it's, we use story and narrative to show nuances in people. And I think that is just a really powerful purpose and meaning of which both of you clearly are doing in your book. And and I have to say too, as someone who I know we're getting close to June and our pride episodes, and this is going to be part of it, but I, 
I can't, I'm so appreciative of where right now of when I'm raising my queer kids and supporting my queer family and like being able to hand them like consistently hand them stories where they see themselves is huge. And I cannot thank authors like you enough, but just being able to do that and, and talk to my community and be like, I need a story for my, 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 my trans kid so he can see himself and, and feel supported and have that. And it's, it's huge. It's, it's, and I am a little older than you guys. I, the nineties were horrible for, for this. Um, and, and just how the narrative around queerness was just so, so bad. And I'm just so thankful that as bad as things are right now, <laughs> uh, in, in our, in our society, um, I appreciate you saying so much, um, about the brokenness because I know that my, I know that people in my life feel that. And, and I think that's important that they don't feel that way or they have support knowing yeah. that they don't have to feel that way. So thank you. Yeah. I think it's Thanks also for- through story too, that we can see that we're whole, right? Like reading and writing can make you see that you are actually whole, that there's other people who uh, are going through things like you. And sometimes it's also seeing people go through things like you and they're not, and they don't identify as broken, that it's powerful. It can make you feel super encharged. Yeah. I also want to just give a quick shout out to our publisher because they have been so supportive of the way we wanted to approach this aspect of this, well, really all of the story, but um, they're very much, um, you know, walk and talk your values people. And um, we felt so supported by them. And um, I think, you know, there's been a lot of beauty in working with a small press for us that shares our values so closely. So I just, Want to give a shout out to Ben and Vivica at Not A Pipe Publishing. You know, that's something I know we didn't get to touch upon this episode with the both of you, but it's something when we do our book club or we have you on for another episodes, um, I really do want to talk about like your journey of like why you went with your publisher as being a smaller print. And I know you've only had wonderful and so many positive things to say about it. So um, I have two more questions. Okay. The first question is, since uh, the book has been released, Unrelenting, what has been your biggest joy and surprise? On a big picture level, just all of the outpouring of support and love. Like, it's just been overwhelming. And on, like, a micro scale, there's something, like, incredibly weird but gratifying about having some person talk about a fictional world that you built and like some lore that you created that has been behind closed doors for so long. (laughs) And then it's suddenly like out in the world. And it's like, my mom texted me a few weeks ago that one of her friends finished the book and she was like, yeah, she's a Nuriel fanboy or fangirl. And I was like, wait, what? That just doesn't make sense in my head that like people are fanning over like, 
our book. But that that is like just such like a little giddy moment to know that people are out there, they're enjoying it, they're finding meaning in it. And just like, yeah, it's just it it's just overwhelming. Yes, uh definitely is. Um you know, we mentioned that we run a business together and we've run a number of like launches of selling offers over the years. And so, you know, we knew how to launch a thing. We've run them for ourselves, <laughs> we run them for uh, our clients. And, you know, when we've run them for ourselves, it's like been okay. Like, okay. You know, we would like hit the lower to middle end of our goals a lot of the time or like whatever, you know, there's kind of that feeling of like shouting into the void. And this has been the first time that we launched something and maybe because we didn't think of, I didn't think of it as like a launch even though it's literally called a book launch, <laughs> didn't, didn't connect those dots. Um, that like it did not feel like that. It felt like we were shouting into a giant mosh pit of all of our friends, <laughs> um, and that people have really rallied behind us. And and y'all too. Thank you for. I mean, this is part of it. Thank you for giving us the space to talk about this here. Um, like, it's been really amazing and. I cannot speak highly enough about the importance of finding that community of writers who like, you know, I, the first time I went to writing excuses where I met you, Marshall, um, at the retreat, um, you know, I was going, cause I was like, well, I want to meet Mary Robinette and I want to meet Dan and I want to meet all these people. And like, I came away like, yeah, they're great. And also like the huge takeaway is like the people who are in the same, same stage of, their writing career is me and like we're all learning and we're all supporting each other and like I feel like that where, wherever anyone finds that community like that's a treasure like through your critique groups through whatever like so it's just been uh, really really cool and I can't wait to continue supporting the others that like I've my fellow writers who like I have other people in my critique group whose books are coming out this year who, you know, they're doing cool things. Like I'm, it's, it's very reciprocal. It's very like rising tide lifts all boats. And like, that's been really, really, really cool to like see in action in a powerful way. I agree. I think um, entering a writing community. I mean, I met Marshall and Nick Mm -hmm. and I just, now I just can't even imagine them not being a part of my life. And Brent, you know, came in later. And, um, I know they're all so grateful. I'm in their lives. (laughs) (laughs) He may not believe it, but honestly, I don't know what I would do without Will at this point in my life, honestly. Yeah. So Uh, I'm ridiculously thankful of the connections. And like you said, Marie, the connections you make when you all do this thing and you all want to do the same thing, but we can all do the thing. And yeah. we can all support each other doing the thing. And um, and you meet amazing people along the way. And it's been wonderful. So I think I cut you off, Will. I apologize. <clears throat> no, no, no. Um, thank you for saying that. I mean, I think we all can be successful writers. I don't think any of us, we're not in competition with each other. Uh, if anything, we're in competition with Netflix. That's who we're in competition with. Um, <laughs> 
everyone can win. And when one of us wins in a community, all of us wins because that energy just travels and uplifts. And with art, there's just highs and lows, no matter what type of artist you are. Um, so the last question, our infamous question, um, Marie and Jesse, just what keeps you just writing? <laughs> I mean, the hopes of being on your podcast. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> and that's the show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, I'll like circle back to a few things I was talking about about like identity, like that. I want to continue contributing to the body of spec fic with queer representation. Um, that drives me, but also it's just damn fun. Like it's so fun. Sometimes it sucks, but like when it's fun, it's so fun. And <laughs> I love that. So sometimes it sucks. It, yeah, <laughs> it sucks a lot actually, but it's it's more fun than suck. So um, yeah, I when I'm not doing it, I'm missing it. And um, yeah, I don't know. I can't, I kind of can't imagine not always coming back to it, even if I have to take, you know, mental health or uh, like hiatuses for like being busy with work or whatever. Same, same. Yeah. I, I circling back to what I, one of the things I said at the very beginning of this episode, it's sort of, become such a part of my identity that I feel like I'm not me without it, which isn't to say I don't take hiatuses or breaks, but even when I'm doing that, I'm still like, but I'm a writer and I'll get back to the writing. I've just been doing it for so long at this point that I can't imagine myself without it. And the older I get and the more experience I get and the more community I build, the more reasons I have to keep writing to getting those stories out there and to uncovering layers of myself and providing safe spaces for other people. And so it's just like reasons upon reasons upon reasons over the years. I can't thank you both enough for coming on the show and talking about your amazing book. And it's been so lovely getting to meet you, not only in real life, it's been a while, but, um, (laughs) but having you, having you both here to talk about your stuff and, and, and the topics we, touched on i feel like we're really important so thank you thank you thank you thank you um thank you for making the space for us yeah absolutely for this. and we'll have you back don't don't worry and i and i wrote down more fun than suck because i thought that was the kind of the best line to pull from this so thank you for that um well do you, <laughs> uh so where can people get your book uh where can they find you on the interwebs and all of that uh, before we take off yeah so um, you, there's sort of a joint website for unrelenting and it's sequels someday called the Grigori books.com. And you can find all the socials there. And then we each have our own author websites. So mine's just Marie parks.com. And what's and yours, mine, Jesse? Mine is <laughs> Jessica honored.com. Awesome. And we'll put all that in the show notes. Thank you so much again, uh, for being on the show. Will, do you have anything else to say before we take off? No, thanks so much. I do actually, yes. Uh, I knew so you did. I knew you did, buddy. That's why I gave like you more. Self-edit. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for writing this book. I loved it. Um, I can't wait till we have book club so we can really like dive deep. Um, yeah, I just love I just love you both and I'm just so happy that 
this book came out and I just can't wait to read more and more of both of your work together and separate. Thank you. Back at you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you though for, for the platform and the time. And it's always good to chat with you both. Until next time. And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.